This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. Conservatives in America have a habit of being silent. Although there are many of them, we seldom hear the voices of conservatives. But this time, in the conflict between Israel and Hamas, conservatives have decided to not be silent. House Speaker Mike Johnson is also a politician who dares to speak up about his conservative values, and he doesn't exclude the mainstream media from hearing him, so his voice is starting to be heard by more and more people. For President Trump, there are several exciting announcements this week. A Michigan judge denied a request to keep him off the primary ballot, and the Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis admitted that the 2020 election interference case is unlikely to be heard next year. President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, testified against President Trump in the New York civil case, but it also proves that Cohen committed perjury. Okay, let's get into it. We've seen and heard in the media that there are pro-Palestinian and anti-Semitic protests all over the place, but there are actually large numbers of pro-Israeli people as well. On Tuesday, over 200,000 demonstrators held a march for Israel in Washington, D.C. to denounce rising anti-Semitism. For security reasons, most of the downtown area was closed that day. People gathered in the National Mall. Under the bright sunlight, many were draped in Israeli and American flags. Previously, the largest demonstration in Washington, D.C. was on November 4th since the new Israeli-Hamas conflict broke out. Thousands of people supported Hamas and condemned Israel on November 4th. By comparison, Tuesday's gathering was much larger. It reached an estimated total of 290,000 participants, which was three times what organizers had expected, and it was the largest pro-Israeli gathering in U.S. history. The rally was larger than similar events to support Israel in 2002 and a rally to support Soviet Jews trying to leave the USSR in 1987. People attended the demonstration on Tuesday to show American support for Israel. They demanded the release of hostages and they condemned anti-Semitic violence and harassment. The organizers of the rally did not anticipate such interest in attending the rally, such that flights to Washington, D.C. were sold out. Jewish communities also hired buses to drive from remote cities, and the buses even ran out of seats. Speakers came from both parties and from all walks of life. There was the entire leadership of the Democratic and Republican Party in Congress. There were Hollywood celebrities, there were religious leaders, and there were Israeli musicians who spoke and sang in Hebrew. House Speaker Mike Johnson also attended the rally. He voiced opposition to calls for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas terrorists. Johnson said, the calls for a ceasefire are outrageous. His remarks prompted cheers and chants of no ceasefire from the thousands of Israel supporters in attendance. The calls for a ceasefire are outrageous. (laughs) 
We stand with you in that. Hamas terrorists waged the bloodiest assault on Jewish lives since the Holocaust, and there are hundreds of hostages, many of them Americans, still stuck inside Gaza. Israel will cease their counteroffensive when Hamas ceases to be a threat to the Jewish state. Rallies in favor of Israel have also erupted in Europe. Two days ago, on November 12th, 1,000 people marched against anti-Semitism in Paris. French people from all walks of life took to the streets carrying national flags. They included former French presidents, as well as more than 20 members of the French government, led by Prime Minister Elizabeth Borne and Foreign Minister Catherine Colonna. Most political parties were represented in the Paris march. Israel's military operation is progressing well. On Wednesday, the Israeli military said that it had carried out a raid on Hamas militants in the Al-Shifa hospital and they urged them all to surrender. At around 1 a.m. local time, a spokesman for Gaza's Ministry of Health said that Israel had given notice that it would raid the Al-Shifa hospital within the next few minutes. Dr. Munir Al-Bursh, the director of Gaza's Ministry of Health, told Al Jazeera TV that Israeli forces had raided the western side of the medical complex. The IDF posted on X, IDF forces are carrying out a precise and targeted operation against Hamas in a specified area in the Shifa hospital based on intelligence information and an operational necessity. After Israel released evidence that Hamas had a command center underneath the Shifa hospital, the U.S. said that U.S. intelligence supported Israel's conclusions. According to the Times of Israel, there was no friction between soldiers, patients, and medical staff. According to the military, IDF tanks were used to transport supplies for newborn children, baby food, and medical supplies from Israel to the Shifa hospital. At least five Hamas gunmen were killed in a shootout outside the hospital, but no Israeli soldiers were injured. An IDF statement said that medical teams and Arabic-speaking soldiers were on hand to make sure that the supplies reached those in need and to ensure that civilians were kept out of harm. Israel called on all Hamas terrorists in the hospital to surrender. Most of the Hamas leadership is believed to have moved to southern Gaza. With the combined support of Democrats and Republicans yesterday, the House of Representatives passed the Speaker's introduction of a stopgap spending bill that continues to fund the government through February 2nd in two phases. 209 Democrats joined 127 Republicans in order to pass the measure in a vote of 336 to 95. The bill was opposed by 93 Republicans and only two Democrats. The Speaker's drastic reliance on Democratic support in order to pass proposals as soon as he took office has the conservative public worried about what will happen next. But the Speaker's statement in the media have been consistent with his conservative values. House Speaker Mike Johnson refuted the notion that the U.S. should separate church and state in a CNBC interview on Tuesday. He argued that what the Founding Fathers wanted was for faith to be a vital component of the government. Johnson said on Squawk Box, the separation of church and state is a misnomer. Of course, it comes from a phrase that was in a letter that Jefferson wrote. It's not in the Constitution. He was referring to U.S. founding father and third president Thomas Jefferson. 
This letter was written by Jefferson in 1802 to the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut, which expressed its concerns about religious freedom. Speaker Johnson also said, and what he was explaining is they did not want the government to encroach upon the church. Not that they didn't want principles of faith to have influence on our public life, it's exactly the opposite. Johnson believes that faith, our deep religious heritage and tradition, is a big part of what it means to be an American. He suggested that religion serves as an essential moral guide to government officials. He emphasized that, and that's why I think we need more of that, not an establishment of a national religion, but we need everybody's vibrant expression of faith because it's such an important part of who we are as a nation. In the same interview, Johnson said that he is all in for President Trump and his quest to reclaim the White House in 2024, Johnson said, I have endorsed him wholeheartedly. I was one of the closest allies that President Trump had in Congress. He had a phenomenal first term. Those first two years, as you all know, he brought about the greatest economic numbers in the history of the world, not just the country, because his policies worked. And I'm all in for President Trump. And he defended President Trump's questioning of the 2020 election results. Johnson said that President Trump believes from the depths of his heart that the election was not fair. President Trump has been officially placed on Michigan's list of candidates for the 2024 presidential primary. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, a Democrat, released the list on Monday. At that time, a lawsuit aimed at preventing his inclusion was still pending. Some left-wing groups are suing on 14th Amendment grounds to try and keep President Trump off Michigan's ballot. Left-wing groups have also filed similar 14th Amendment lawsuits in more than a dozen states seeking to bar President Trump from being placed on the ballot. Minnesota, New Hampshire, and South Carolina have already dismissed similar cases. President Trump's legal team had filed a lawsuit against Benson claiming that the Secretary of State had no legal right to strike his name from the ballot. And for her part, Benson is in agreement with the legal logic articulated in President Trump's complaint. In an op-ed that was published in the Washington Post in mid-September, she wrote that the notion that the Secretary of State could act unilaterally to bar President Trump from the ballot under the 14th Amendment was misguided. Benson said that she was following Michigan's law and placing President Trump on the ballot. But the court has the right to rule differently. On Tuesday, Michigan court claims Judge James Robert Redford responded to the Minnesota Supreme Court's recent ruling that argued that the request to exclude President Trump from the state's primary ballot was not well-founded. The ruling reads, plaintiffs cannot show that they are entitled to a declaratory judgment. Judge Redford wrote that the political parties of the state ultimately finalized the list under state law. Stephen Chung, a Trump campaign spokesman, stated that they expect additional dismissals to similar cases. He said each and every one of these ridiculous cases has lost because they are all unconstitutional left-wing fantasies orchestrated by moneyed allies of the Biden campaign seeking to turn the election over to the courts and deny the American people the right to choose their next president. House Republican Conference Chairwoman Elise Stefanik and House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence Chairman Mike Turner submitted 
to Attorney General Merrick Garland a formal criminal referral against President Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen. The referral highlights that while testifying in the civil case against President Trump in New York on October 25th, Cohen admitted to lying under oath when he testified on February 28, 2019, before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. He is either lying now or he lied back then. In his testimony on February 28, 2019, Dan Goldman, then the House Democrats Director of Investigations, asked Cohen if President Trump had instructed him or Alan Weiselberg, the former CFO of the Trump Organization, to inflate the numbers for a personal statement. Cohen answered back then, I'm sorry, did he ask me to inflate the numbers? Not that I recall, no. However, on October 25th, Cohen reversed his earlier statement. Recently, Cohen claimed Trump directed him and then Trump Organization CFO Alan Weiselberg to change the valuation of assets on financial documents in order to reach whatever arbitrary net worth Trump wanted for himself. Alina Haba, a Trump lawyer, asked Cohen if his 2019 congressional testimony was true and Cohen admitted he lied under oath. The referral letter states that Cohen was willing to openly and brazenly state at trial that he lied to Congress on this specific issue is startling. His willingness to make such a statement alone should necessitate an investigation. They concluded the letter by requesting the department investigate whether any of Mr. Cohen's testimony warrants another charge for violations of Title 18. Stefanik also said in a statement, the Biden Justice Department must take off its partisan blinders and investigate disgraced fraudster and disbarred attorney Michael Cohen, a felon previously convicted for lying to Congress who just admitted to lying again to Congress. So what do you think? Did Cohen lie under oath this time or did he lie in front of Congress in 2019? Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis has filed an emergency request in the 2020 election interference case, and Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McPhee has issued a protective order preventing the prosecution from sharing any evidence with the defense before the trial. The judge is scheduled to hear the prosecutor's emergency request today. At the same time, Fannie Willis has admitted that it's unlikely that the case will go to trial according to the original planned schedule. It's very likely to be extended into early 2025. Willis said in a November 14th interview with the Washington Post, I think the case will be on appeals for years. I believe in that case there will be a trial. I believe the trial will take many months and I don't expect that we will conclude until the winter or the very early part of 2025. When asked about whether this would mean the defendants in the case would be on trial during the election season and on election day and even on the inauguration day of the new president, Willis said, I don't. She also said, when making decisions about what cases to bring, considering an election cycle or an election season does not go into the calculus. What goes into the calculus is, this is the law. As a result of this indictment, Willis herself is facing pressure from the Republican Party 
Last month, several Republican state senators from Georgia filed a petition asking the Prosecutorial Qualifications Commission to sanction Willis for improperly prosecuting President Trump. In the petition, Republican lawmakers claim that Willis improperly cherry-picked cases to further her personal political agenda. They asked the committee to take appropriate measures to sanction Fannie Willis. The complaint stated, The integrity of our justice system is at stake, and the trust of the community in the district attorney's office has been severely eroded. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.